0: everybody welcome back to another episode of the fear cast this is the podcast dedicated to ocd anxiety anxiety spectrum disorder treatment and getting your life back my name is kevin foss and i am a clinician specializing in anxiety and ocd and uh, i just want to welcome you all to this uh, to this very special episode for those of you who are new to the podcast this is a question and answer based podcast where if you have questions about anxiety, OCD, any manifestation of any of that stuff, um, and about treatment, or about loved ones, or about how it all works, or about how to get better from it. If you have questions about it, you can go to over to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can send me a question there, and uh, I will see it, I will read it, I will consider it, and I will likely put it up on a future episode. So, this episode is a little bit different and a little bit special, because on this episode, I was so lucky to be able to have Stuart Ralph of the OC. OCD stories podcast uh, on, and he uh, he he gave me some time to chat about OCD, to chat about his experiences with the podcast, why it started, how it developed, uh, what he what surprised him about his podcast, different uh, different episodes he talks about, and, and, and what was what was good, what was fun, what was difficult, what was in, intriguing, what was illuminating, and uh, I, I got to spend some time chatting with uh, with Stuart, uh today, and uh, it was a it was a fantastic I think it was a fantastic interview. Stuart was very generous with his time generous with his uh, generous with his experience and he was incredibly open and vulnerable throughout all of it so I, I I had a great time and I'll say this at this time just in case anyone is wondering uh, yes. Stewart is just as delightful in in person as he is on the podcast. I, I got uh, some some time just before the interview and just after, just to chat about podcasting and about um, the OCD community and about treatment and just his life. And uh, he he's just a delightful person to chat with. So um, uh, if, if you ha- if you have wondered if he is that same guy as he is on the show, he is and more. So uh, I, I, I had a really fun time chatting with him. So um, so before I jump in, why don't I tell you a little bit about Stuart, as if you all need to know. So Stuart Ralph is a child and adolescent psychotherapist in training. In 2015, he founded the OCD Stories podcast, a show focused on highlighting the voices of researchers and clinicians, as well as OCD sufferers and survivors. To date, the OCD Stories has been downloaded over three million times, so that Further ado, everybody, this is my interview with Stuart Ralph. Right. Stuart Ralph, thank you so much for joining us for the episode of the FearCast. This will uh, be a unique episode to have a little bit of a crossover of, uh, of two, two different, but um, kind of at the same end, focusing on OCD and anxiety disorders. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode that 's really good to be here thank you for the invite yeah, of course of course well um, so you you've been doing the podcast you've been doing the OCD stories uh, since two thousand and fifteen uh, and and during that time you've've you've, um, you've helped to amass an, an incredible database of information for uh, for clinicians, for clients, for family members about what the disorder is, different conversations, different experiences about uh, about the disorder, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think you you ab- above a lot of folks will have or can likely have a, a really unique perspective into treatment, into the experience of OCD. So, I I really was uh, appreciative that you agreed to be on the show to talk about this experience and and share a little bit about what what you've learned in in the process.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. Um, and do you want me to just kind of reel off now, like? <laughs> or would you? Well, I'll, how about I'll, I'll guide the ship a little bit. So, how about? Yeah, uh, please. Could, yeah. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about um, uh, kind
0: of you, you and your life and what led up to you wanting to start the OCD stories?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my my own kind of OCD story. Um, the earliest memory I have uh, was actually in America. And um, so see if you aren't familiar with, with my work, I am, I'm British, I live um, south of London. Uh, and um, well, actually at that time, at the age of seven, I was living on the south coast of England. So it's almost as far, if you went any further, I'd be French on that south. Um, and and uh, yeah, we went to Disney. I always get this wrong whenever I'm at the ISTF conference and I always get corrected by people. It's either Disneyland or Disney World in Florida. Do you that's, know which one That's it is? Disney World. Disney World. I think I always say Disneyland. So anyway. No, that's, <laughs> so that, yes, that's about that's about
0: 10 minutes from, from me. How is it? Yeah. But I'm a, oh, you're, I'm, yeah, I'm a big Disney nerd. It. Y'all can't see this. It doesn't matter. I, I don't need to talk about Disneyland or Disney World for
1: that matter. So I did see that in your bio on the website as well. Oh, goodness. Uh, about right. Disney. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Disney World in Florida and... Um, uh... Yeah, so we we got off the plane. I don't remember too much. To be honest, I don't have really any memories. I have one or two memories prior to the age of seven, Mm -hmm. which I find interesting. I know some people don't have good memories before then, but I have such vivid memories of this age of seven when I first, so basically we were in a, it was a Denny's or a Wendy's or something like that. We had got off the plane. My dad was feeling sick because of jet lag and maybe bad airplane food. So he was in the hotel sort of sleeping. And my mum, and my brother, uh we're sitting there eating and all i remember about that meal is feeling now i know it's anxiety at the time it was just a feeling of like dread and i guess nervousness but i just get kept getting repetitive thoughts of and visual images of seeing this tarantula kind of crawling on my dad Mm. and it was gonna um bite him and kill him and and i just kept thinking i need to tell my mom i need to tell my mom um because the, the belief was he is going to die it's real and it's going to be my fault because i could have saved some saved him i could have said something well, i obviously I, I didn't say anything um he was fine obviously um and uh, I, I don't know if i needed to say that i'm sure everyone knew he was fine Anyway, so sort of In the following few days, we had the pool in the hotel complex, outdoor pool, and I would just get these overwhelming urges or senses that there were sharks in the pool. Mm. Even though I could clearly see there was nothing in the pool, it was as soon as I went in the water, I was overwhelmed with anxiety um, and I just sort of swam, sprinted out of the pool, tried to get close to the edge. So what I would do, and it was it was Florida in June or July, right? So it was ridiculously hot. Right. Especially for me being British, we don't really get heat like that. Uh, and I'm a kid, so I want to be in the pool. I want to be having fun. Of course. So what I did was in the very corner of the pool, I mean, I'm doing this with my hands and I know no one else can see this. I would dive in and jump straight out. So it would only be like two meters worth of water. Yeah and then and get as far away from the edge as possible as if something was able to kind of grab me and pull me in and a couple times my brother like held me in the water and obviously i was freaking out because Mm -hmm. to me i'm in immediate danger he found it funny and i think my parents found it funny as well which in hindsight i find it funny but at the time like it wasn't um it was a good holiday overall though but they those are my earliest memories and then um i'll try and cut some bits out but i always tell that because i think it's important to share like that first kind of um and then yeah in childhood there was lots around old objects and it would be like antique paintings old paintings antique objects even like old buildings would just trigger me for some reason i even today like they weird me out they don't cause me any problems but they i just get a weird feeling you know and i used to walk there was a few things actually there was like this copper i think it was copper old teapot maybe from like a hundred odd years ago that my mum had on the staircase we'd had to walk past which didn't help me because i had to walk past it every day and i would have to walk back and forth back and forth back and forth until it felt right whatever that feeling is you know yeah. um, and there was never a set amount of times it was just until it felt right and the feeling was upon reflection for me it was always either something bad was going to happen to someone either in my family or sometimes it was even like people in africa like probably because i saw those charity ads of like starving people in africa and little kids sure. and i didn't want them to suffer or whatever uh and but it was this other feeling of like uh oh, if I don't walk past it right, I'll never be with my family again. And not in a in a literal sense. I'll still be with them, but in almost like a different dimension. If that makes sense, so like I'll be with them, but it just wouldn't feel the same. And that was the fret. Mm-hmm. Um, I always struggled to kind of articulate that one because it still feels weird to me today. Um, mm-hmm. And then a, another key memory for me was around the age of a. I say no, it wasn't eleven. It's was probably nine or ten. And another one is like walking across door doorways to so the boundaries of a door. Yeah. And I would walk in and out, in and out again until it felt right. And I just hit this point where it was like, I remember sort of breaking down and crying and thinking this can't be normal like it was it was nighttime i don't know where my brother was he must have been asleep my mom and dad were downstairs watching tv because i could hear it but it was dark upstairs and yeah back and forth back and forth and it must have gone on for i don't know how long but it got to the point where i just kind of had a meltdown and just thought to myself this can't be right there's something wrong here and i remember thinking this can't be the normal human experience and i don't know if i had those words as a 10 year old but that's what it felt like like there's something wrong here. This is this can't be normal with this. Um, but anyway, I didn't say anything. I wanted to, but it was the thought of if I say something um, I'm going to be taken away from my family. Is that stereotypical old view of mental illness of straitjackets and asylum, mental asylum? Exactly. Oh. Yeah. And so that was that would have been mid nineties. Um, and mental health wasn't really talked about at that point in the UK. I'm um, sure it wasn't in America. either. Uh, and yeah and anyway so i never said anything kept it to myself Mm. Uh, and then as i got older in my teens there was more stuff around sort of um sexual orientation worries and stuff like this uh and anyway i went to seek help at the age of i would say actually i self-medicated a lot with cannabis as i got into my late teens Mm -hmm. um and yeah and um Yeah, I went to the NHS, National Health Service here, and they were probably even more underfunded then than they are now. Mm. They've invested way more now, even though it's still not enough. But anyway, so I went there and I had a couple of assessments, psychiatrists and clinical psychologists, neither OCD specialists. um, And they basically said, yeah, you know, it could be OCD, but we don't think it's severe enough or causing you enough trouble yet where you know so they were like um you know we recommend these sort of ocd self-help books go away try them if they don't work come back and we can look at cbt or something uh-huh. and i'm thinking i'm 17 year old at the yeah, 7 16 or 17 at that point um like I, I barely read any books. I wasn't a reader. I am now, but I wasn't then. Yeah. I've read like probably three books and one of those was Harry Potter. Like uh <laughs> those are big books, to be fair. Yeah, well it was the first one, which is the smallest. Okay. But, fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously I read books at school, but like of my own accord, right. I only ever read a few. So the chances I was gonna read a non fiction non fiction self out book was like next to none. No. You know, they just right. wanted to get rid of me effectively. And I, I did actually request my uh, my notes, which you can do here, about 10 years later. And, like, I was reviewing it and there were so many mistakes as in, no OCD assessment was done, as in, like, a Y box or anything like that, Right, uh, which you don't even necessarily need to do if you're a specialist, but mm. they weren't. Anyway, it is what it is. But I continued to struggle for about another 10 years. And it, in my 20s, actually in uni, <coughs> it was there, but it kind of got pushed back a bit. And I think it was because I was living out there was so much going on I was having so much fun I was playing for my basketball team and I was yeah so although it was there it wasn't crippling me because there was no time I guess for it to kind of latch on and being at uni I was drinking all the time so that probably masked it as well Um, and then yeah when I kind of went out into my career it kind of started coming back with a vengeance but this time with uh, sort of relationships Mm. um, any kind of dating life or any relationship styles in became extremely turbulent because um, of anxiety for me and the, the, the lots of sort of real event stuff actually started torturing me in my sort of mid to later 20s and mm-hmm. um, just like looking back on things in my past that maybe weren't perfect but weren't bad by any measure but the ocd would latch on and be like yeah you're the worst part yeah yeah, exactly. You're, you're any kind of evil figure. I don't want to name them, but yeah. Uh, and yeah, and it wasn't until, so my now wife, I started dating her and to, actually, no, I, I just started, uh, I went privately basically. So just before I met her, I was like, something needs to change. I can't deal with this anymore. Mm-hmm. So I went privately, saw a couple of different people um, that helped And then, yeah, then I met my wife and it's, it helped on certain things, but I hadn't really approached the relationship OCD. Mm -hmm. Because to be honest, I don't think I didn't even realize it was a problem at that point. I just thought, oh, I don't know what I thought. Um, And yeah, so I met my wife, we started dating and literally for like the first six months of us dating, it was just constant anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, After about four months of dating, I was, I kind of told her and I was just like, I can't, live like this you know i'm i i'm just a wreck you know <laughs> um i was losing weight and everything and oh goodness yeah and she just said look you know let's let's take a break but let's meet in a couple of weeks you know once you've had some time to clear your head and she listened to me i kind of had a like at this point as i'm older like as a kid i cried yeah but, uh, as an adult I, I even today i really struggled to be honest to kind of let go yeah and um yeah, I was just a wreck. I was just kind of crying everywhere. And she was, she listened, um, didn't kind of jump in, just listened, which is, she doesn't do that anymore. She just jumps in there. But, you know, back then she did. And that was really helpful. And, um, yeah, so it was after a few days. It's like, do you know what? This is anxiety. I do really love her. But We met up and, and then I just made a commitment. Okay, I need to figure this out. So I just went hell-bent on reading and researching and, everything um and then yeah that led me to starting the podcast really was uh i guess the story of that was i was just sitting on the kind of edge of my bed um again feeling really like beaten and just thinking right well if i'm going to suffer then someone else might as well benefit kind of from my suffering um and it wasn't a podcast. It was originally a website just to um, get people's written stories. Mm-hmm. That was that was the sole reason for doing it. Mm. And then, sort of three months later, I was like, I want to do a podcast, and that's how it started. Wow. How
0: how come you settled on, or you 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 eventually got to the idea of doing a podcast as opposed to uh, a, a YouTube channel, or just continuing on with uh, with, with the yeah. blog?
1: Yes, yeah, so I did, um, for probably the first year and a bit, I did. I was um, recording the videos as well, and I was putting the videos on YouTube. Oh. And then I didn't actually, because I was training at that point to be a therapist with children, I didn't want like, because I was recording it in my kitchen and my living room, and I didn't want the kids seeing it in. Um, so I've stopped that, which some people weren't happy about, but is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, actually, because I'd, I'd done a podcast My background's in marketing before I retrained. Ah. Uh, And specifically, I I did a podcast on marketing ethics, which isn't live anymore. Um, But that's where I I developed the skill set to do it. So it was a natural kind of conclusion for me to think, let me do podcasts. And I also, I'm not a big fan of like showing my face and putting myself out there. I have no interest in fame. So podcast fits me a bit better because you have a bit more um, anonymity. Mm Mm-hmm right right and uh i mean the,
0: one of the advantages of the podcast is certainly you know you, you'll never have to wear pants and no one will know as you're <laughs> not wearing really. pants right now that's yeah. an, for anyone i haven't since covid started so. fair enough <laughs> for anyone out there who's listening he i'm assuming is wearing pants but i'm just gonna get him the benefit bouncing. all right fair okay <gasps> um trigger a few people yeah well um well you're you're, you're welcome then everybody for the yeah. <laughs> for the trigger, anyways, this is a good opportunity to ex- to accept the uncertainty. Moving on, exactly. so um, so as you've uh, as you've started the podcast and kind of as you, as you're getting into this, um, what were you hoping to accomplish uh, through it?
1: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to think. My initial kind of motivation was, two things actually. One was selfish. One was okay that I I I'm trying to figure out my own problem here. Mm-hmm. use the word problem um and I want to speak to sort of great minds and people I find interesting mm-hmm. and because at that point I was only interviewing therapists and researchers because mm-hmm. I, I was really trying to get answers and also I was like if anyone wants to listen then it'd be great for them to get answers to but I had no hopes of any large amount of people listening like I had no intention of it, it being anything special or big or anything like that um and yeah and then over time it it changes i want to hear people's stories and i want to give them a platform to share their stories as well and be heard and all of that and so now i kind of do a
0: combination of the two Right, right. Yeah, for, for anyone who's um, unfamiliar, and I can't imagine this anyone who's listening to this podcast who has then not heard of the OCD stories that yeah, you do have a, a, a really good balance between having professionals on, uh, researchers on clinicians, and, and also mm-hmm. having individuals who, who are going through their own uh, story and kind of hearing, hearing what kind of, the, it, it is interesting to hear the balance between here's the theory, here's what research is, here's how the, the, here's how the conversation of treatment is developing. And here are people who are doing those things, putting those things into practice and seeing the fruits of the, their, their work.
1: Exactly. I mean, like I, I enjoy interviewing clinicians because, you know, it gives me a chance to geek out and ask some questions. Cause as you know, I'm, I'm finishing my own training now so i'm still in full learning mode right. and i hope to always be in learning mode mm-hmm. but like so it you know it's 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 like having another university lecture interviewing someone, you know. Um, so that's really fun for me. But then I, I'd say I actually learn as much, if not more, sometimes from actually people's stories because they tell you something that the literature or a randomised control trial would never say, or you know. And you, you pick up, and when you hear that five times, you're like, "There's something in that," you know. But yeah. it's not stated in the literature. Or don't ask me for examples, but this is that's like right. the, yeah, the, the kind of. Yeah, it's fascinating I think and I think it comes back to from a research point of view we've we've this is my bugbear we've moved away from case studies mm-hmm. and case studies they're not hugely robust they're massively open to bias but psychology is where it is because it started with case studies mm-hmm. and I think we need we need randomized control trials and more scientific studies robust studies but I think we need to bring back case studies more as well. As right. at least a starting point for future research, right?
0: It, it, at the very least, those case studies will will raise questions and exactly. uh, something to say: this this is happening, or we did this and this worked. Why did that help? What was going? What was the mechanism to make that thing work? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: right, right. And I think for me, like the, the podcast is is my own kind of research tool um because yeah i'm still trying to figure it out not necessarily for myself so much i think i'm in a fairly good place but like there's still a lot of people that get better and there's some people that just don't seem to get better for whatever reason or get what they want and that kind of like drives me to kind of keep and this is my research
0: right right Mm. what were your inspirations for the show
1: hmm I don't know if I can answer that one. Um, so, do you mean like people that would have inspired me to do it, or
0: yeah, either either in I know you certainly said that you you had your your podcast, but um, uh, to to the point about like having it having it specifically be about about mental health, was there were, were there other podcasts or maybe even structures of shows that uh, that you would listen to or that had had influenced your mm. concept of what your what your podcast, what the OCD stories was eventually going to become.
1: Yeah, I can actually answer that one. Um, so a couple comes to mind. One is actually a health and fitness podcast, which is run by one of my close friends. And he was doing that a good year, about a year and a half before me. Mm-hmm. And he was getting some big name people on and, I don't know, just seeing his success and how much enjoyment he got from it, that kind of motivated me. Yeah, uh, And also, it was another person I could go to of if I'm not sure how to record this or what mic or, you know, he, he was already done it. Um, and the other one is actually, I was listening to a couple of OCD podcasts. One was called The OCD Podcast, which I don't even know if it's online anymore. And I can't remember the guy's name but he did basically monologues about his experience. And I found that quite helpful, but I think that stopped a good year before I started. Mm. But then there was living with obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually on that podcast before I started my one and I used to listen to theirs a lot and they interviewed people with OCD, okay. which actually thinking about it is probably another reason I only interviewed experts because I didn't want to create a podcast and just replicate what they were doing. Um, Yeah, so I I thought they're not interviewing experts, so that's where I can kind of add my value. Um, But yeah, they're both nice people that run that, but they stopped maybe five, six months after I started. But I know they had another kid, and it was a husband and wife duo. So it's a good podcast, and I think it's still online. Okay. All right, well, ch- check it out, everybody. But yeah, it's it's.
0: I'm um, I'm always curious about you know what where where people got the idea to do their show and, and and the structure of it. I mean, to that to that point, um, you know, how did you how did you? I'm trying to come up with my right question and try to find mm-hmm. it in my notes, and it's just gone. So it's either going to come back later or it's going to be gone forever. But uh, to to shift over to a different question, then is. Um, uh, Did you ever imagine it was going to be what it is today?
1: No, not at all. Like I said a moment ago, like I had no, I wasn't, I've definitely started things in my life where I was like, you know, I want this to be big or whatever it was. But with the podcast, it was purely just, I'm struggling. I want to find answers and I want to help anyone else who wants to listen. Like that was, that was the only thing going through my head. There was no numbers. There was no goal. There was no, um, and I'm quite big on goals, on setting goals and all of this. But I had no goals for this. It was just I was driven by a passion as opposed to like a desire for achievement or anything like that. And I think that's evident as well, by the way. Yeah. Your, your, you. your, your passion is, is one of the reasons that it has grown. Yeah, uh, thank you. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons it still exists because I think... You know, I'm I'm not against quitting. You know, there's many things in life I've quit and will right. continue to quit in the future. Uh, but the podcast was there's times when I'm sure you know this. You're just you do not feel like recording an episode, mm-hmm. or you don't feel like editing it, or or meeting, getting it live on the time you said you would. Or many a million other things, right? But it is that commitment to the listeners that was like drove you. F- through. and when I was really feeling inspired and passionate about it it was brilliant and still is absolutely yeah.
0: um so when you when you first got started was there who are who you hoping to get on the show kind of like what was your what was your like biggest get or like the fantasy person that you had or that you wanted to get on the show
1: yeah um, well i say at that point I was still really like new to the industry and community and even in 2015 Mm-hmm. you know you know people like yourself and other uh, ocd therapists just weren't online they would they didn't have social media and if they did they didn't have many followers um mm-hmm. compared to say now they're almost like celebrities you know right um, <laughs> within their space yeah um and so, yeah so i i didn't know many i knew some of the people that i'd read books on mm-hmm. so like Stephen Hayes was someone I did have in mind and you know I just thought let me try my luck I, I, I released two episodes I think at that point I thought there's no way he's going to say yes but he did and he gave me like two hours of his time and um incredible so yeah so I was really really honored that he did that because I was effectively I'll say a nobody but like you know he loads I guess the point is loads of people start podcasts and they they, they quit after five six seven episodes right? right it's just i'm not criticizing them it's just what it is it's a lot of work um so he could have looked at me he's a smart very smart man and been like well i'm not going to waste my time until he's 50 episodes in right. showing some commitment or anything like that but he didn't he did it and um yeah it was, so that was really cool so he was definitely and i'm trying to think anyone else john hirshfield at uh-huh. that time because i'd read his, one of his or two of his books. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get him on, but he came on in like episode six as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you the first sort of 20, it was just people, usually people like, i read their books and that's how I knew about them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it, again, like social media wasn't as big or wasn't at least big for therapists. Right, right, right.
0: So with, with so with all those people that, uh, you know, you read their books and you wanted them to get on, are, are there still are there still people that you want to get on the show that you haven't gotten
1: on the show yet uh yeah um i will say people have been actually like most of the time they say yes they, yeah. it's very rare people say no mm-hmm. um well it, it's very rare they say no but they do ignore your emails which is a kind of a no <laughs> right <laughs> um but uh do you know what uh probably um so there's like eminem right obviously the rapper yeah he uh in my childhood his music was big for me like he really when i was feeling down listening to one of his album his earlier albums like really got me through it i guess Mm -hmm. so that has a special place in my heart and um he apparently has ocd Mm. and if it is proper ocd then if he ever wanted to come out so to speak i would love to have him on the podcast It'd be good for downloads too and uh-huh. um, uh, i'm trying he's the one that comes to mind in terms of clinicians um i want to get michelle Kr- krask on uh, mm-hmm. i don't know if it's krasky or krask i believe it's krasky Kraske, yeah she obviously inhibitory learning so It'd just be cool to ask her, you know, how she came across it and her research, and um, but that's more more of a recent one. than and I have actually contacted her and she's listening. And you haven't responded, but uh, she, yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure she'll respond at some point. Uh, I'm sure there's several, but I'm really banking. Um, do you know, I'll think on this, and if it comes to me during the rest of the conversation. Or I'll let you know.
0: All right. Well, and this is th- this is a a a slight and subtle way for for anyone out there listening, for, for anyone out there listening who knows Eminem and has his <laughs> ear, um, Stuart would like to talk with him. Uh, I, exactly. I, I I recently tried to message um, Howie Mandel, and I thought he'd be an interesting person to talk to. But um, I think I might have done in the early days. Yeah. Oh, uh, Yeah. It did he did it didn't get back? Didn't get back. <laughs> well, he hasn't gotten back to me either. So, Howie, if you're out there. Know i'd yeah. like to have a chat with you um be yeah, yeah. kevin's podcast first at, and then at the very least i want to talk to him about about his stand-up i grew up watching his stand-up so oh, that cool. was uh, delightful um so sh- shifting as well to or shifting over to the just kind of the the, the nuts and bolts of the of the podcast of your mm. podcast um th- throughout the throughout the interviews what what have you learned about OCD treatment? Now it's such a broad question, but um, perhaps a better a better way to ask that is how have you seen how has your view of OCD or OCD treatment change changed or shifted since starting the podcast?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot, uh, and it changes all the time. I I try and keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes the. Uh, I'm trying to be careful how I word this. Like the sometimes the CBT community or the OCD community can be quite rigid in its thinking, mm-hmm. quite black and white, dare I say. Uh, and and I love CBT. I use it when I do therapy. Um, but I'm I'm trained in integratively, so I'll, I will also think psychodynamically, and I'll think humanistically um if i work with someone by ocd erp is going to be my go-to tool um but i'm, I'm also thinking around other aspects of them as an as a human being and i guess that's changed whereas when i started i was 100 percent cbt it's it's black and white it's this it's, something's gone wrong in the brain or just it's a learned behavior and this is how we break the cycle and right. um and don't get me wrong i i, I still partly believe that because i still use erp i a uh, you know and mm-hmm. i use act i love act mm-hmm. um but yeah my my training probably hasn't helped in that it was very uh was integrative but there was lots of psychodynamic elements like we did an infant observation mm-hmm. um, which is the ultimate exposure for someone with pocd i sure. basically had to go to a family's home sit in their living room and watch the baby and mom and dad interact for an hour a week mm-hmm. and that comes from um i think it comes from tavistock clinic in london mm-hmm. of, like I don't know if it's John Bowlby in that, but it's very like the sixties, that's where it kind of originated from, I believe. And you're you really learning from the, those very early ages how they connect and the impact that has on the young person and how that so we started really there trying to get into the almost the infant's mind. And some people are gonna be like, That's yeah, utter rubbish. And maybe it is, but um, it was useful. So my thinking and then recently did a family observation where we had to observe family dynamics and that was over zoom because of covid right uh but um yeah i don't know i i always bring people like beyond winnicott um yeah it just really helps me get get a grasp and then as a result i went back and i read like sigmund freud's work on ocd and his view and taking out like the sex stuff you know the the the, (laughs) the drive theory and he his formulation of OCD was just that it's it's trauma driven, you know, mm-hmm. and it's quite that, well. There's nothing too wacky about that. Um, it kind of made sense, mm-hmm. and um, so for me, I'm like, I don't necessarily. For me, it's like it's partly genetic, partly like. Trauma for not everyone, because I don't want to trigger people, but like Mm -hmm. and I think we get we get hooked up on that word trauma. Yeah. Um, of like it's something big that happened to me. Right. Something really, really terrible. And it's like actually it could be like, you know, sibling bullying in the family, it could be just general bullying, it could be um rupture within the, the maternal relationship or just anything. It doesn't have to be big, but if it's minor and it happens and happens and happens and happens. There's, there's something potentially going to rub there, um, and how does that impact and shape? And and there was definitely, if I look at when I was six or seven, before that, before I Kit, there was definitely a couple of things I would say were traumatic. Well, one was quite traumatic in the sense that my nan died, mm. um, and for a six-year-old, who knows how that was processed in my brain? Right. Yeah. And especially if my family weren't emotionally talking about it or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and the other one was, uh, well, I I don't want to share the other one, but it was, it was more minor, but it was more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's played out in my life as well, which is why I kind of think about it, um, in terms of uh, a relationship. Uh, and yeah, so I guess that's where it's, it's, that's for me changed actually as a professional. Um, so I try and keep an open mind, um. But in I'm still gonna use ERP and act. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just gonna I guess what I'm what I'm saying is I realize that uh OCD is part of the person, it's not this separate thing. Um, right. It should be treated as such. Um and, yeah, but then in terms of, like, the podcast, obviously I was very much about habituation with mm-hmm. VRP. I'm much more about inhibitory learning now. I love ACT. So the whole ACT view of OCD has changed. Actually, to be fair, I covered that from the very early days, but I would say it's it's more firm in me now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like I've covered, like, inference-based therapy, which does lots, well, a fair amount of research for OCD uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I, I don't use that, but I cover it because then maybe it will work for someone, you know, right. that's the other thing. Like I've got a couple of podcasts lined up that I think some, some people in the community therapist wise are going to hate me for doing it. But <laughs> I think for one or two people, if it shifts something, that's amazing. And if the rest just, don't like it that's okay too you know I'm not saying this is the way I'm saying here's just a thing use use your intelligence and curiosity and if you don't like it that's cool if you do great right um, right and, uh, uh,
0: and, and, yeah. and I think to that point there's the, there's something really there's something really important about that 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 line of thinking that we just say this is the magic approach it's gonna work for everyone it's what you do it's what fixes people yeah, But what about all those people that it doesn't quite fix or doesn't quite reach, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. a- adding some of those elements or it's kind of taking a broader view, um, you know, it might, might, meet someone's ear a little bit better or meet someone's individual condition a little bit better. So uh, I I know I said this kind of at the, I said this at the end of my interview with um, uh, uh, Michael Greenberg, that there's a different strokes for different folks sort of approach where some person is really going to resonate with that approach and someone may just be completely turned off and it's not going to resonate with them at all. But, Mm. uh, you know, I I think taking, starting with a baseline of, you know, CBT, ERP, and then adding elements in as as necessary at least that, that's that been the approach that I've taken and yeah. you know uh, uh, 20 years from now me is going to look back and say I was an idiot and wrong yeah. that's fine but but uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to those uh, those episodes of yours that are going to
1: set the um, OCD community on fire yeah well Michael Greenbags <laughs> is one of those episodes <laughs> that yeah. set the, the community on fire and um I'm glad you interviewed him. I think he has some really interesting ideas. Um, I'm not saying I fully believe everything, but I think he he deserves a voice in the community. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's kind of weird because what he's saying, just to talk about him for a minute, because sure. I get so many questions about him, I'm sure, sure you have as well. Uh-huh. Um, most of it really, really positive, you know, but some of it not so. Um, and... I'm sure he'd be okay with me talking about this. I'm not revealing anything. Um, It's just making him the spotlight for the second. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I I got him on because I read some of his articles and I thought this is a different approach. It's a different idea. It kind of makes sense to me, mm-hmm. but I want to ask him about it. Um I like that he talks about the core fear. It aligns with my views of like psychodynamic views and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, I, I really like what he had to say. But again, I'm not going to instantly believe everything he says and I'm not going to discredit everything he says. I'm going to play with it, wrestle with it. And really? I did that for my five-year anniversary podcast. I said, I'm going to start covering more episodes because for some people trauma might be a cause and i want to do episodes that address that yeah and i want you know and some of you aren't going to like it and that's okay just i want you to try and have an open mind and if you don't like it that's fine you know mm-hmm. but try and just don't discredit it straight away and you know his his you know he, he i had a couple of sort of coaching sessions with him to kind of educate me on his method because i wanted to use it with a client because i had um one young person with iocd that uh i was doing traditional erp and i just couldn't shift it i just nothing was working i was getting hopeless and frustrated and i thought you know let me just try michael's method and he, he helped me through it he 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 consulted with me, and yeah, you know, it, it worked. Like I was able to shift this young person, uh, person's OCD, and it made a real difference. Now it doesn't mean I'm going to use Michael's method every time, at least not at the minute. But I know it's another tool now in my in my kind of weaponry that I didn't have before. But it took me to have an open mind to use that tool. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not going to discredit anything. I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to wrestle with it. And if it makes sense, I'll try it and I'll learn. And then, and that's, and I think every therapist should do that because that's what makes us better. We want to heal people. We want to help people and we shouldn't be closed-minded. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Was it Did was it the kind of attentional training component that, that really helped or the kind of shifting away from the, the, the ruminations that was particularly a, a groundbreaking thing for this uh, uh, fellow of yours? Uh,
1: it was, so they had somatic OCD. Okay. Which, from what I gather, is quite, I haven't had, that was my first client with somatic OCD. Okay. Yeah. So from what I gather, it's quite hard to treat sometimes with ERP versus maybe the other themes because- right. I'll be interested to hear your take, but there's, from why there's no, at least with this client, there was no like taboo thoughts. There was no harm. There was no contamination. It was just something I didn't feel right. And and not even the way I described it as a kid, right. it was just, it's uncomfortable. It's, it was like a neutral, a neutral obsession, and mm-hmm. which was frustrating because I couldn't target it. Uh, and um, it was, it was his technique around, um, know how to describe it because so it's about kind of i always describe it like that he describes it as the butterfly so holding the butterfly and it's about letting go so -hmm. between um i'm blanking here uh attention and awareness awareness and attention so awareness you can't control attention you can attention is a form of rumination Mm -hmm. under michael's wording right so this this young person was doing many forms of rumination but the one that was tricky to identify was they kept paying attention when when the sensation the urge came up they would draw their attention to it and it was getting this person to realize that that's a compulsion um, and then we did various exercises to kind of get them to learn to let it go not to pay attention so it's still in, in their awareness mm-hmm. but not engaging with it um, and yeah yeah uh, and yeah it worked it took a while but it, it worked and they they, they learned that this is something I'm doing. I'm, I'm paying attention to it. I'm controlling that. And, and I think that's what, in the first episode, a few people, not therapists, actually, this was people with OCD. They didn't like, um, they, he says, it's kind of something you're doing because mm-hmm. it was almost, it, they felt sort of blame it. them. And he's, he said in the episode i'm not blaming you know this is just if it's something you're doing it's something you can stop and but for many people that's been an empowering message and mm-hmm. for this young person it was it was like oh it is something i'm doing i can stop this right um, yeah and i want to caveat i'm not saying that's for everyone but for this young person it was right right how, how have you seen kind of the conversation
0: uh kind of ch- chain well i guess we've we've kind of uh, addressed a little bit of that of seeing seeing more and more discussions of kind of b- broader broader themes broader approaches uh in, in in the course of your doing your podcast um was there was there any episode or any interview that you did that kind of pr- spoke to you personally or kind of gave you unique insight into the disorder and or its treatment
1: yeah yeah, there's many. Um, yeah, it, yeah, because sometimes a story episode, someone will say something, and I'm like, oh, I used to do that. And i, I completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helps me kind of formulate my own story a bit better. Uh, and then experts. <sighs> In the early days, just learning uh, about ERP, it was my training before I was doing training. Mm -hmm. So each one of those episodes was enlightening. And then when inhibitory learning came along, that was enlightening for me. Um, One episode in particular, uh, which actually was the episode I thought would cause the most controversy, Mm -hmm. and I had zero negative emails or tweets about it and it was um, with Pete Weiss who's a therapist in Seattle and he was talking about merging uh, contemporary psychoanalysis with uh, ERP Mm. so like you know I thought that was going to and it didn't there was quite a few people enjoyed it Um, but he he kind of breaks down his view that he kind of links it more to developmental trauma Mm -hmm. um, and about healing the whole person while doing ARP. Mm. Um, and that was really interesting. Um, and he talked about uh, Philip, Bromberg, who's a contemporary psychoanalysis, something he died last year mm. or, t- or 2019, but he he talked about the committee of the mind, which is you have like, uh, you know, the funny Kevin, the sad Kevin, the intelligent Kevin, mm-hmm. the compassionate Kevin, and it's about, ra- and you have the OCD Kevin, mm-hmm. and then it's about raising the more compassionate voice or the intelligent one, not intelligent one, but you know what I mean, whatever it is, to and trying to drown out the OCD voice as a kind of concept um he explains it much better than me but that was really really interesting to see that OCD isn't this bully which is what I saw it as many for many years right it's not this bully it's not this evil thing it's just a part of you it's one aspect of you and you can kind of calm it down and sort of drown it out of it um and I really like that as as a view for people that don't want to see it as a bully Mm -hmm. and it's okay if they do but um It's another alternative, I think, because I think that the go-to narrative is it's bully, it's evil, it's mean. It's just us. Yeah. It's our brain, you know? Right, right. And as soon as we say it's evil, we're saying something about us is evil. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Or it's this adversary. It's this, you constantly have to be at war in in a sense. Yeah. 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 And having, but it's interesting because I've also worked with folks who, who have had that or who have taken on that, Maybe a- adversary is a strong word for it, but it's this. It, it is this, uh, you know, thing that is is uh, serving as a, a negative force in, the, in their life, um, yeah. and taking that approach or taking that mindset has been helpful for them in terms yeah, of that, that that kind of externalization approach.
1: Yeah, it was absolutely helpful for me in the early days seeing it as a bully. Yeah, as something I needed to fight back against. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not discrediting it. I think sure. it's one a wonderful view um i just at least for me speaking from experience after a few years it was like i don't know, i don't even know if this is helpful anymore and i, I one view i started to do which is slightly different to pete's as i saw almost the ocd as this little scared child yeah that it was behind me just shouting trying to get my attention because it was terrified
0: Ooh.
1: so it's it's i've taken it from being this mean thing to this thing i need to take care of and need to. Pre- not protect, but, you know, nurture and give compassion to because it's not going to harm me. It's a little child and it's only screaming because it's terrified and then you feel sad for it, you know, and it's that shift. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, that, that helps better.
0: Yeah, yeah that 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 almost fits fits in really nicely with Stephen Hayes approach of of act and kind of ta- taking mm-hmm. compassion on that like that rather than coming at yourself with this, you know, aggressive judgment, you know, angry voice, we kind of can take this compassionate, calm, loving voice yeah. and bringing ourselves in despite this thing that, that that's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Was there an episode that surprised you the most? I mean, you kind of said that you, you expected that one episode to kind of blow things mm-hmm. up, but it, it didn't. Yeah. It, it kind of surprised you in the in the other direction. Was there anyone yeah. that surprised you at all?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm always getting surprised. Uh, I mean, Greenberg's, Michael Greenberg's was quite surprising in a good way. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting anything bad. I just, it was more pleasant than I, is in more insightful than I expected. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of my episodes have been like that. I'm just trying to identify. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? It's that I know there are, but I can't pinpoint it. It's always, I'm sure you notice know, when you come off an interview and you're just like, that was a brilliant conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've had, and that's happens a lot. Um, sometimes in story episodes, sometimes with professionals, um, it's usually when it's a topic that's slightly different. That's like, I haven't I'm just got someone on to talk about ERP. It's like a nuance of ERP or a really detailed area of it or it's compassion in a specific area and that's what gets me fired up when because right. that's when I'm learning and that's when I'm most kind of engaged. But yeah, I can't give you any examples, unfortunately. <laughs> That's to- totally fine. Yeah,
0: I, I gosh, I had that, I had that feeling that you're talking about. I, I when I interviewed um, Father Tom Santa of Scrupulous Anonymous, if you're familiar with that that group. Yeah. yeah. And um, I gosh, I remember doing that that interview, and I was interviewing him in I was in my my kind of spare room, which is the music room of the house, and we um, or the junk room sometimes is um and i just i just ran out and i was i was like i need to get the external hard drive to back up my computer right now like just Mm. in case something weird happened to my computer because it was such a such a wonderful uh interview so yeah i know i know that feeling i'll check that one out yeah it's um it was it was it was surprising because obviously he's a he's a catholic priest and talking about scrupulosity i had very much expected there to be more more uh I, I expected to be something that it was absolutely not, and um, uh, it was it was a pleasant surprise, but also incredibly insightful into the approach that that one can take with religious fears. So, um, I it's it, it is it is one of my favorites, but um, that that is not to disparage anyone else nor this one. Um, <laughs> uh, how how has your approach to interviewing changed over the course of the show?
1: Yeah. Uh it's been a more natural progression uh i don't think i've worked on it maybe as much as i could have uh i try and say i try and do less as i just realized i was doing it there uh, and like ums and stuff and fillers see i'm trying to be better in that area uh i just did it and now i'm going to keep doing it because i'm hyper aware yeah, you attending to it yeah, exactly yeah um and just lead into it yeah exactly <laughs> uh yeah, but I, I would say where it's mainly changed is I listen way more. And I think in the early days, I still listened. But a couple of reasons for that. One is my training, you know, being in, in therapy. I I listen quite a lot, especially obviously in, in assessment, especially if I'm working with, because I don't just work with young people with OCD. Um if I know I'm not going to go the CBT route for a client with something else that I don't think needs CBT, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe they just need to be listened to for like six to eight weeks, you know, in a therapeutic way. Um, So that's developed that skill in me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do that more on the podcast, but also I I realize that when I do that, people share way more. And you'll probably find this like, They'll, they'll pause as if waiting for me to respond and then I just stay silent and then they keep going yeah. and then you get more good stuff and when they're truly done, then you know, they're done. And then, then you jump in. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, and, and then I guess the third benefit of that is kind of what I said earlier, when it's someone's story, I want them to be able to share because maybe they can't share in their life because there's lots of stigma around them or their, their parents don't know or so, being able to be heard i think is is a, a special thing so hmm. you've gone silent now for me to <laughs> all right i'm not gonna uh, all right i'm no. gonna do that to you
0: but what is you you mentioned the ums and ahs and i i in the course of my doing the podcast i initially tried to edit those out and then i mm-hmm. of myself and then i just stopped because i say um and now all the time And i hear it and i'm sure everyone out there hates it it's just what's going to happen but um i'm buckling up into it
1: i was gonna say i don't think anyone actually notices like until you just until we just talked about it i didn't notice one um or uh from you the entire time you know so i think i think our brains filter that out Mm -hmm. it's
0: like it, it does. I mean, it go, gosh, going back to the, the somatic obsessions, the, the neutral obsessions, the, that's mm-hmm. one of those neutral things that you and I might hear, but the average person doesn't care. And when you turn your exactly. t- – that I've experimented listening to other podcasts that I listen to. And, and you hear those people say um and uh and ah and, and cough or, 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 you know, you hear the sound of the, their, their cup on their table. And um, it, it, we don't care. But you and I care about hearing ourself.
1: It's very silly. No, no, absolutely, I get it. We have very silly well, I think we're just we're trying to improve and not perfection at least for me, I'm not aiming for perfection, right. but I always want to be better. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes that can drive you a bit Absolutely. Chaos. yeah, I don't want to say crazy, but yeah. Yeah. I, I,
0: I, I will use that term liberally sometimes because that is the term that we use for ourselves when we I I'd say for, you know for my anxious thoughts or nervousness I call them my crazy man thoughts because that's mm. I'm thinking like a crazy man in that moment that is not the term that I encourage everyone to use because they can people can take it however they will but but I, I will not take offense to using that word and I don't think anyone listening to this podcast is going to be surprised to hear that word either um, I, I'm curious what is so to to shift back to a uh, well to shift back, what what is the? I, and I just have a couple more questions. I promise.
1: Okay. for
0: it. What is what was the most difficult thing, or what is the most difficult thing about doing the OCD stories? Um,
1: the first thing that comes to my mind. I didn't want to say it's a bit of a boring answer. It was just so I at, early on I probably after about a month I committed to doing weekly episodes like every Sunday without fail, they were going to come out and I I'm pretty sure I've achieved that. I don't think there's been one week off in. So that's been tough sometimes, especially in the early days to get guests. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I did a couple of monologues in the early days to fill, fill holes and, um, and, and then like if I was going on holiday in the summer, i see that's non-existent because of COVID. But like historically when we could do those things, um, I would have to do like two to three weeks recordings, editing, scheduling. So it would be like three days of work just to get two weeks off mm-hmm. or even a week off sometimes. Um, and sometimes it's been like, yeah, well, um, when I had a day job, uh, I was obviously, I was training to be a therapist. I had my day job and then the podcast was like evenings, weekends. Yeah. So I still record sometimes in the evenings, but mm-hmm. I was editing in the weekends, doing social media, emails, it got to the point I was just, yeah, losing more hair than <laughs> I needed to, not have much to lose. Um, yeah, that's probably, it's not the, probably the best answer, but that's true for one. Yeah.
0: And, that, and that's the, that, that's, then that's the right answer. It's there. There's mm. a lot of work to be put into this with, you know, is, with, yeah. with editing, setting up, um, posting it, all that stuff. It's it's time you don't think about, but it's time that's there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Do you have a favorite episode? I know you uh, love all your children equally, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love them, I guess. <laughs> um, there's many like story episodes are so like, um. Uh, aaron harvey from made of millions mm-hmm. he he came on and he he just gave every intrusive thought he had not everyone but you know the, the big ones and he gave them in so much detail mm-hmm. and a lot of times when people share their stories they say you know i had thoughts of stabbing my mom or whatever but like he went into like like the finest of detail what it you know how he would do it and the the gruesomeness of it and the time and and it was like that for some people that triggered them but for yeah. many it's been really liberating because they were like i've never heard someone speak about it so openly right uh, and i've seen him speak on stage and he's always so honest mm-hmm. and it shocks people but i think it helps people at the same time so like his episode really stands out for me as a story um uh, therapist wise like the, the p wise the contemporary psychoanalysis and the erp one was was just it was the f- first person really talking about ERP is great but also maybe it's this as well mm. um and i just anyone anytime anyone talks from that open-minded place they have my attention yeah um uh and you know Michael Greenberg's first episode was really eye opening because again it was that fresh perspective on ERP right um and kind of as you said before about um ERP being great but it it doesn't seem to help everyone at least according to the studies mm-hmm. there's some people so and he he said that you know doing RFEP ERP which is what he calls his method um we we kind of Put ERP on this pedestal. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is it stops us looking at how it can be better. Right. Because it's the gold standard. It's perfect, you know, Mm. and it's not, it's gold, it's not platinum, you know, and that's where we need to get. So for him, his episode really kind of brought that home for me. Um, uh, Stephen Hayes, I have to say, because that was one of my early ones, and he's just an incredibly nice guy, good storyteller. yeah, John Abramowitz, all of the Johns of OCD. They're all <laughs> really good. There's a lot
0: of good Johns out there. Yeah. 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 What was your most difficult ep- episode you recorded?
1: Ooh. I don't know on that one. There's obviously, I, I think in the earlier days, there were more that unsettled me in terms of stories. Uh-huh because now being a therapist i hear all kinds of stuff like ocd is the least of the things that scare me nowadays with some of my clients you know Mm -hmm. um not to belittle ocd but you know when you're hearing about domestic violence and stuff like this you're like when she's stories um yeah just to hear it is quite tough for me uh but yeah so ocd in the early days probably would have been difficult for me to hear at mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. and it would have triggered my own stuff right it doesn't so much anymore um but nothing from a clinician point of view i don't think because there's there's definitely been stuff uh, like you know again going back to michael i really loved that episode but on it he said he hated act <laughs> You know, that's not a view I hold. I like Michael. I like his approach, but I like act too. Yeah. But I didn't say anything on the episode. I wasn't triggered by it. You uh-huh. know? And there were many act therapists that were. Yeah. Um, so like, I guess I try and pride myself on being as open-minded as possible and not dismissing something straight away. Right,
0: right. Yeah. yeah uh I, I i remember when he said that and um <laughs> i i heard i heard it, the the slightest bit of shock in 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 your voice and I, I mean i also perhaps heard it in my head as well but um and then it just reverberated through all the other uh, ocd
1: therapists i know so um well, but- yeah i did say actually on it i said um uh this is kind of going to be great for my i don't know if i said it's going to be great for my downloads but it was something of that nature in effect, yeah. of like the podcaster in me loves that because you no know i said i said because act gets praised all the time of on course. my podcast right so it's nice to have someone say otherwise even though i disagreed with the otherwise it was nice to have more balance right
0: and, and that's um, and
1: that's how things move forward when there's criticism exactly. of something
0: then we start to look at things a little bit more critically and question well you know if it's if it's not magic then what is it is it if it's not magic, is it at least helpful? How is it helpful? And it, then is there something else that can uh, augment or supplement? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but But um, if so, if you you
1: could re-record any episode, what would it be? So don't want to say that. Now, there's probably a couple in the early days that I wouldn't have covered anymore because my views, I don't want to say what, but my views have changed. Okay. So again along the lines of being open-minded i think that can also get you in trouble at times sure so i I covered a few topics that were a bit more out there that i don't necessarily agree with now i'm not against i just they're not they're not me Mm -hmm. um but then again they are what they are because they're going to resonate with people in the position i was at that time so it's it's that's the thing i try not to look back at my back catalog too much because uh, i otherwise again the ocd part of me would kick in and i would delete probably 300 of my episodes well no they're definitely the first hundred because i'm very critical of me in that time period okay so yeah. i try and not kind of <laughs> reflect that, that
0: that that's probably wise of you mm. yeah yeah it's funny I, I in terms of examples i i kind of have a similar thing where someone had messaged me gosh maybe six or eight months ago and they they had referred to an example i gave in the very very first episode mm-hmm. of of ocd and essentially it it you know, it, it, it equates ERP with killing dogs, and it's a longer example, but it, um, you know, it's an example I just don't use anymore, and it's not because I don't think it applies, it's just I have I have ma- matured perhaps to less gruesome um, uh, examples, but, you know, that resonated with him at the time, so,
1: okay, it's going to stay out there, so good, good luck with that. Exactly, yeah, um, you can't, but that's it, we, the other way I look at this is the podcast isn't it is It is a kind of, it's a source of information. Yeah. But it's also entertainment is the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. So it should be taken as the two. It's not this polished curated thing where you and I have sat down for five hours before doing this interview, agreed the points, you know, said, okay, you can't say that. You can't talk about psychoanalysis. You can't, you know. Um, so there's always going to be mistakes. And I say stuff all the time where I'm like, oh, that's not even in my nature. I don't even agree with that. It just came out because when you're talking in the moment, things spill out, you know? Right. Um, And I edit occasionally, but like I just keep that in mind of it doesn't need to be perfect. This is entertainment as much as information. Right. Yeah, and I think that's
0: a... That's it's a good mindset it feels it, it feels very natural it feels very open in the conversation yeah. but you know as we all do when we get on a roll and we think that we you know this will be a really good example right now or this will mm-hmm. this will just meet this person right where they're at and you you put it out there and a couple hours later you go oh that was a really bad idea oh that was a yeah. bad example or it 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 just completely flops and it's it, it's out there now and for the record yeah. for anybody listening, I don't think I'm going to edit this this episode. So what what you're hearing is what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Okay. So except for all except for yeah, yeah. all of Stewart's, you know, just e- egregious profanity. But yeah. okay, that hasn't happened either, everybody. He's a complete gentleman. So, um, what's that? On air, I am on air. Try not to swear. Fair, (laughs) yeah, I try to keep my pirate language too. Off air, Um, so my so my my last question, at least at this time, is so let's so let's say that you had a billboard in every city around the world, and you could write anything you want on that billboard. It doesn't have to be OCD related. What would you write on it for the world to see?
1: Mm. I this question. Oh, man. So much is flooding in. Um, I this question, and yet it shows up all the time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the first one that came to mind is be kind, but then I struggle with that because it's not as simple as that. Ooh. And I guess what I mean is it's very simple to be kind, but it's not as simple as telling people who are having a tough time to be kind because we have so much... I use the word baggage. We have so much baggage that we need to work through to be able to get to a headspace to be kind sometimes. Um, So I don't know, there'll be some kind of message around maybe the importance of therapy because I think we all have, like I think Winnicott used the term, the walking wounded.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like most people are walking around wounded and they don't necessarily realize it. Right. And I think pointing that out to people and just being like, you don't have to be in the dsm to need therapy mm-hmm. you know the average person can benefit greatly from therapy and i think we all deserve it to be heard and listened and helped for even the minus of things that maybe a thorn in our side that, you know stop us from applying for a certain job or asking for a raise or connecting with a friend or or being able to apologize for something you know so maybe some sort of billboard promoting the benefits of therapy for everyone Right, right, and then be kind, and,
0: and, and once you do that, then be kind. Yeah, I think exactly. that's I think that's a fantastic uh, a fantastic message for for people to hear. Thank
1: you.
0: Well, is there is there anything else that you'd like to add at at, at the end of this um, this conversation?
1: Um, no, I think the only thing I'd add is personally where I'm at with OCD, whereas in not my own personal ocd story i think i'm in a fairly good position sure um me as a therapist the more i know the less i know with ocd that seems to be my, my growing thing i'm thinking wrong if someone comes in my room i'm fairly confident i can help them but there's so much more for me and i'm, I'm really in the journey of exploration at the minute and i don't know why i share that just I don't. I don't want to give certainty to anyone, uh, and um, and lastly, yeah, I just thank you to you because you know these have been wonderful questions and questions people haven't asked me, so it's been a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Well, I I, I knew that you would have a, a a
0: ton of insight and a ton of experience just uh, through you. through your work, through your research, and just through your own personal interest. So, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share us that with uh, with with the Fearcast
1: it's my pleasure and thank you everyone listening absolutely
0: well um uh, uh, until perhaps next time have a good day yeah you too All right, everybody, thank you all for making it through that episode. Uh, again, Stuart was delightful, am I right? Oh, my goodness, he's so much fun. So everybody, he had offered at the very end, off air, that uh, that if you have questions for him about OCD and anxiety treatment, he would be happy to be on on a future episode. So if you go over to fearcastpodcast.com, uh, you can um, uh, you can ask me a question and you can ask him a question. And uh, if he can find the time, uh, he would be happy Happy to be on and uh, discuss um, uh, discuss that question. So, if you want to know more about the OCD stories and Stuart, you can find him over at uh, Instagram. He is at the OCD stories. It is spelled the way it sounds. The OCD stories. You can also go to theocdstories.com, and that's going to be where uh, all new episodes are posted, and all and information about his show can be found there. Please remember that the Fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment or by getting started with treatment, or just need a little bit of help in your recovery, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go over to the find help link, and uh, there'll be some information there that ought to be helpful. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.